Welcome to Sunrise, your weekday podcast bringing you a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. Congressman and gubernatorial candidate Charlie Chris says Florida's new Surgeon General needs to go. Not only should Dr. Ladapo not be confirmed by the Florida Senate, I am calling on Governor Ron DeSantis to pull back this nomination. But what about the Surgeon General's sterling credentials? Other doctors weigh in. Plenty of people who went to Harvard and worked at UCLA and had some appointments and are eloquent who are also crazy. Senate President Wilton Simpson outlines the future of Florida at the Chamber's Future of Florida Forum. Florida to stay strong in the future. It's going to be doing more of the same things we did for the last decade, which is low taxes, low regulation. And after 70 years, the families of the black men known as the Groveland Four could see their wrongful rape convictions dropped. This is the final step. This is what will clear their names. Um, It's not uh, the state apologizing or pardoning. Um, It's clearing their names. And that means the world to the families. And I think today's Sunrise interview is with Gilbert King, author of the Pulitzer Prize winning account of the Groveland Four story called Devil in the Grove, a terrifying true story of racial injustice in America. We've got all that, including other top stories trending around the state and capital. Plus, we have your calendar of political events and so much more. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Following is a paid political advertisement paid for by Florida Education Champions. Online sports betting. It's legal and it's coming to Florida. With passage of our amendment next year, any tax revenues collected are required to supplement the Florida Educational Enhancement Trust Fund. Hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue for students and teachers, with more choices and competition for Florida consumers. Be a champion today. Learn more and request your petition at floridaeducationchampions.com. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, October 28th. Today is National Internal Medicine Day, Chocolate Day, and National First Responders Day. On this day in 1886, U.S. President Grover Cleveland officially dedicated the Statue of Liberty, a gift from the people of France to the people of the United States. In 1919, Congress overrode President Woodrow Wilson's veto and passed the Volstead Act, providing enforcement guidelines for prohibition. And in 2013, Penn State said it would pay nearly $60 million to 26 young men over claims of child sexual abuse at the hands of former assistant football coach Jerry Sandusky. The calls for Governor DeSantis to get rid of his Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Latipo, continues to grow, including from within the medical community. Congressman and gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist hosted a press conference with two doctors denouncing the Surgeon General's actions. I am calling on Governor Ron DeSantis to pull back this nomination. If he refuses to do that, then Dr. Ladapo himself should resign. With that, I'll turn it over to Dr. Jeff Berman. Thank you, and God bless you. And, and Surgeon General should have public health experience, without question. Now, his background is in cardiology. He has absolutely no public health experience. Dr. Berman is a pulmonologist with a background in public health. He was joined by Dr. Brent Schillinger, who was more direct about Dr. Latipo's credentials. There are plenty of people who went to Harvard and worked at UCLA and had some appointments and are eloquent 
who are also crazy. So I think just because you have those couple of credentials under your belt does not make you a credible expert. And if you notice, UCLA has already taken him off of their website and tried to distance themselves. And I imagine there's a lot of heads rolling at UF at this point as well. Schillinger, who says he's former chair of the Council of Ethical and Judicial Affairs for both Palm Beach County Medical and the Florida Medical Association, is questioning the ethics of Dr. Latipo. Look at all the other unethical or questionably ethical activities just recently, uh, as it came out in the last day. He won't share his vaccine status. Uh, apparently, he was kind of secretly fast-tracked to a University of Florida appointment. We know the story from last week where he wouldn't put on a mask when he was in Senator Polsky's office. Obviously, he didn't care about her health. How will he care about the health of 20 million Floridians? And I'm curious when he goes to visit the governor and his wife, who was recently diagnosed with breast cancer, if uh, Governor DeSantis will ask him to put on a mask and what will happen in that circumstance. Just curious. DeSantis's staff, however, points to Latipo's credentials, noting his medical degree from Harvard Medical School and how he served as an associate professor at the University of California. The Gainesville Sun recently uncovered emails detailing how the University of Florida leadership fast-tracked Latipo's hiring, contradicting the governor's public statement that he had no idea how the deal came about. Some of Florida's leaders gathered at the Future of Florida Forum held by the Florida Chamber of Commerce. The event continues today in Orlando, but yesterday, Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronist, among other things, talked about making it more affordable for Floridians to protect their homes from hurricanes. Essentially what we're doing is we're going to create a sales tax exemption this year through the Florida legislature that is for retrofitting, mind you, the key word's retrofitting, homes to replace their doors and windows and roof attachments with those that are storm hardened. But when it comes to the future of Florida, Senate President Wilton Simpson told the crowd Florida should just keep doing what it's doing. For Florida to stay strong in the future, it's going to be doing more of the same things we did for the last decade, which is low taxes, low regulation, infrastructure, infrastructure, education, and get out of the way of entrepreneurs. Today's Sunrise interview is with author Gilbert King, whose Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Devil in the Grove, is back in the news this week after Florida State Attorney Bill Gladstone filed a motion to posthumously clear the Groveland Four of their criminal records. King joins us to talk about the case. Gilbert King, welcome to Sunrise. As you saw the latest news where more than 70 years after four black men were accused of raping a white woman in 1949, this is a story you know all too well since you wrote a book yeah. about it. Florida State Attorney Bill Gladstone has filed a motion to posthumously clear the Groveland Four of their criminal records. So bring us up to speed. What did you make of this news? You know, I, I thought it was really great because... First of all, if you go back to the history of this case, um, the Florida legislature apologized to the families of the Groveland Four. Um, and I was there, it was in Tallahassee, and they kind of all voted um, to um, basically um, co-sponsor the claims bill. And then they put their hand on their heart, they turned to the balcony, and they said, on the behalf of the state of Florida, we apologize for this gross injustice. We are recommending um, pardons and ultimately the exoneration of these defendants. 
And so that was the very first process was the apology. And then it's kind of surprising that, you know, I think uh, a day or two into uh, Governor DeSantis's term after his election, um, this was the very first clemency hearing that they had. And so uh, in Tallahassee again, um, in January of 2019, um, we all appeared, family members, myself, and actually the um, alleged victim in the case, Norma Paget, came to Tallahassee. Everybody spoke their minds about the case and how important it was to correct this injustice. And sure enough, they voted right there, and it was unanimous that they, they agreed to pardon um, the Groveland Four. Um, and then some, part of that process involved um, going for the exonerations. That's what the family really wanted. And so the FDLE decided to do an investigation. Um, and I turned over all my um, notes and files from the case, and they examined all, the, all those records as well as doing their own investigation. Um, and, and so this was really the third branch of government. You, you had the state legislature, you had the, the governor's office, and now this was the judicial branch. And this was really, I think, the most important because this was the one that could address the claims of guilt or innocence. And that's why I think this motion was just, you know, so powerful and so um, unequivocal in its language. And I think it's a really, um, a really strong motion that will um, probably set the tone for a hearing in a couple of weeks. Gladson, in his statement, says even a casual review of the record reveals that these four men were deprived of the fundamental due process rights that are afforded to all Americans. In your research, like what were some of those things that they overlooked or didn't even get a closer look to really try this case? Well, you know, there, there are quite a few things. And I, and I think this is really important because sometimes I think these cases come down to the he said, she said aspect of it, um, or in, in this case, she said, they said, and and it becomes the 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 argument becomes about who's telling the truth. Is it the defendant or the alleged victim? And and that's what I think is not really helpful. What I think is really helpful is to go back and look at this case and look at what happened in the courtroom to these defendants. Um, there was perjury at every turn. Witnesses were just purging themselves in order to cooperate with the prosecutor's narrative line on this case. Um, there was manufactured evidence. You had deputies um, basically faking these footprints and making these plaster casts. In the case, you had prosecutorial misconduct at really every turn. Um, you had basically the judge who was just rubber stamping everything the prosecution did. Um, so I think that was really what um, State Attorney Gladson was really responding to when he talked about this is a complete breakdown. Um, you know, and and so I, I thought the way he he handled it, he went into and did his own investigation, um, pr pretty similar to what a conviction integrity review unit would do, would just start from scratch and say, what are the areas that we need to look at? And, and that's why it was such an impressive document for me to read, because, you know, he exceeded all my expectations and even went out and found new evidence, which, you know, I, I just find that just spectacular that he could focus on this and find new evidence like that. Um, it made me jealous. <laughs> what do you expect what will happen now? And more importantly, like, you know, you having been close to the family, why is it important to go through this process posthumously and to really settle this? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think a lot of times people will say, oh, yes, yeah, 72 years later, apologies, pardons, exonerations, what good does that do? You know, everyone is dead. All the defendants are now deceased. I mean, what? it's not bringing back any lives. It's not really correcting an injustice. Um, but I, I think 
I really take my lead from the families. And what the families are saying is that we appreciate the apology and we appreciate the pardon. And those are all great steps. But as you know, you can pardon guilty people. What they really wanted was to clear the names of the Groveland Four, to have them declared in court that they should either never been charged, should have been exonerated, some kind of statement from the judicial system weighing in on the question of guilt or innocence. And I believe that the families just find this is the final step. This is what will clear their names. Um, it's not the state apologizing or pardoning. Um, it's clearing their names. And that means the world to the families. And I think you can tell from their statements, um, they're very pleased with this as well. And lastly, who are the Groveland Four? Yeah, just to give a narrative yeah. to their names beyond the Groveland exactly. Four. Exactly. You know, and that that's the thing about this case is um, because of the accusations um, that the alleged victim said there, there was four attackers. Uh, it presented this opportunity for Sheriff Willis McCall to sort of say, fine, I know who those four attackers are. I can find them because the alleged victim originally said I could never identify them again. It was too dark. Right. Um, but now all of a sudden the sheriff is coming in and saying, oh, I know exactly who it is. Don't worry, we'll get them." And he basically went out there and found what he called troublemakers in the community. Um, who maybe weren't really going along with the Jim Crow lifestyle. And so Walter Irvin and Sam Shepard were two best friends, grew up in Groveland, served in the Army together. And they were the ones who were handcuffed by Sheriff Willis McCall on the evening of the retrial and brought back to Lake County, um, except the sheriff didn't bring them back to Lake County the way they were supposed to be going. He turned down a side road and shot them on the side of the road, taking the law into his own hands. Uh, the other two, Ernest Thomas and Charles Greenlee, they weren't even in with these guys, but because Sheriff McCall said he needed four men, uh, Charles Greenlee and Ernest Thomas were sort of dragged into this case. And so these are four men who, you know, really had nothing to do with this crime, this alleged crime. It, it was definitely a story that was put into place um, in order to do some housekeeping of African-Americans in, in this Jim Crow Lake County community. Um, and, and it's just a real tragedy what became of them. I mean, obviously, two of them were killed without really ever being convicted. Uh, one of them was shot. He had his uh, sentence commuted to life in prison. Um, and Charles Greenlee, who was 16 at the time, was given mercy, uh, served 10 years on a chain gang and was finally released. And he passed away in 2012. Wow. Well, Gilbert King, thank you for keeping this story alive with your book. My pleasure. It was a pleasure to talk to you and see you again. And thanks very much for uh, getting in touch. Here's your calendar of events. Governor Ron DeSantis and House Speaker Chris Sprouls are scheduled to speak during the second day of the Florida Chamber of Commerce's Future of Florida Forum. The Palm Beach County Legislative Delegation is scheduled to meet today as it prepares for the legislative session. The Florida Children and Youth Cabinet is scheduled to meet in Orange County. Florida's Surgeon General is now chair following the resignation of First Lady Casey DeSantis. This is at 9.30 in Orlando. The Florida Transportation Commission will meet at 10. The Florida Supreme Court is scheduled to release its regular weekly opinions at 11. The Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Hemp Advisory Committee will meet in a conference call at 3. That department's Medical Cannabis Advisory Committee will also hold a conference call at 3.30. 
and the Florida Capitol Police will hold a free Halloween event titled Trunk or Treat, featuring food trucks, face painting, Capitol Police vehicles, music, and a bounce house and more. That's all happening at 5 at the Florida Capitol. Finally, as you jumpstart your day, thanks for tuning in for today's Sunrise. I'm Tramel Gomes, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture.